I'm Pat McKay, and this is Funding the Future of Healthcare, a podcast that dives into healthcare technology and the process that allows it to scale and thrive. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to linger, people have had to make big adjustments in the way they live and work and take care of their health. A few companies out there are using technology for good to help folks cope with everything that's uh, going on these days. We're here to talk about one of those companies. Please welcome our guests, David Ebersman from Lyra Health and Dan Gallus from Providence Ventures. Thank you both for being on the program. Great to be here, Pat. Thanks. Thank you, Pat. David, you are the former EVP and CFO for Genentech at the time, the world's largest biotechnology company. You were also the CFO at Facebook for five years uh, before taking on your latest endeavor in 2015. You currently serve on the boards of SurveyMonkey and Castlight Health. You have a Bachelor of Arts degree in Economics and International Relations from Brown University, and you are the co-founder and CEO of the subject of today's podcast, Lyra Health a company that aims to transform behavioral healthcare using technology with a human touch. And I just want to add in here that Lyra pretty recently achieved unicorn status with a $1.1 billion valuation. So congratulations and welcome, David. Uh, I hope I've been pretty close to accurate there with all that info. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks for having me, Pat. We are going to talk about what your company is doing currently um, amid what is still a difficult time for, for the entire world, really. Um, but first, tell us how Lyra got started uh, and then how you got involved with Providence. You've been around since uh, 2015, is that right? That's correct. We started the company almost six years ago. So tell us a little bit about how Lyra got started and then how you got involved with Providence. Absolutely. So we started Lyra because we felt like mental health care was really one of the defining problems of our era. Uh, On the one hand, um, you have tremendous prevalence of mental health conditions like depression and anxiety and substance abuse. In a normal year, about 50 million Americans will have a diagnosable clinical condition in the health arena. Uh, And very few of those people each year get effective care for reasons due to stigma and the challenge of accessing care and the variability of the quality of care, most of those people are not gonna get treated effectively in in any given year. And on the other hand, you have the reality that we have pretty good treatments for many, if not most of those people. Um, So interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a short-term intervention that's been widely studied in dozens of clinical trials to treat conditions like depression and anxiety has consistently shown and reduce symptoms and help people to feel better and live a better life. And so at Lyra, we really started the company based on the idea that we would try to address that disconnect. The fact that there's so many people that we have good treatments and that yet we really generally struggle to connect people in need with the treatments that are going to help them. And that's what we've been working on doing for the last six years. Thank you, David. Um, We're going to continue with that and Keep talking about Lyra, but uh, let's hear from Dan Gallus. Dan, once again, you've been on this podcast several times. You've spent over 20 years doing and discussing investing in the medical technology field. You're a partner at Providence Ventures, a $300 million venture capital fund created on behalf of Providence St. Joseph, which is a $24 billion healthcare system. And to date, your team has invested in 20 different innovative technologies all now helping Providence improve health outcomes for people. Um, So it's good to have you on, Dan. Hey, thanks to be here again, Pat. 
Dan, when and why did you get involved with Lyra and our guest, David Ebersman? Uh, well, Providence Ventures uh, got involved with David not long after the company was put together after its seed round back in the summer of 2015. Um, and uh, the company was in the process of raising its Series A round at that point. And personally, I got the opportunity to meet with David I think the first time that I went to Seattle after joining Providence, I, I lived down in the Bay Area, as does David, and uh, joined Providence Ventures, which is based up in Seattle, uh, in August 2015. I think my first business meeting up in Seattle was a dinner with David uh, and got to meet him and the team and a bunch of other Providence stakeholders uh, at a dinner we had there. Um, and it was a really timely uh, connection for Providence to come together with David. Uh, Providence actually was in its own process uh, of really putting together a very strong commitment, both in terms of mission, but also capital that ultimately resulted in a hundred million dollar uh, commitment that the organization made a year later in an entity that's now called the Wellbeing Trust, uh, really focused on, on reducing the stigma and driving better care models uh, in treating people with behavioral health issues. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was very timely for Providence to come together with Lyra. And uh, I, I remember in that first meeting uh, with David, um, I was struck by not only uh, the passion that he had for this, but also the confidence and conviction he had uh, with respect to, we're going to figure this out. We're going to solve it. And uh, the reality, uh, I think you know, at that point, uh, and, and maybe David could talk more about it in terms of you know, his personal interest and what drove him towards this. But uh, it was a, a great team pulled together around more of a mission and a concept. But that mission was very clear. And that was uh, to, to really help individuals with behavioral health needs with huge issues uh, that still exist in this, this country. But Lyra's uh, really helping to try and solve that, which is, relates to access and affordable access to behavioral health care. And, and reducing that, that challenge and timeliness of being able to, to access those care providers that can really make a difference. Um, so, you know, the mission alignment was fantastic for Providence to come together with Lyra at that time. Uh, we were able to uh, join the Series A round uh, and, and have continued to be able to be a part of the, the organization success uh, as it's built itself over the last several years. Uh, and now Lyra is actually, uh, uh, they serve our, our caregivers in our organization uh, as we're a customer of Lyra uh, providing services to our, our own employees. Thank you, Dan. You know, oftentimes it seems that challenging circumstances can be, can be very good for innovation. You think back to something even as tragic as, as 9-11, how that led to, that led to a, a lot of changes. Innovation, everything from skyscraper design to you know, how the U.S. now handles their homeland security. Uh, my question is, do you think this pandemic helped change the way companies now look at mental health? Or do you think leadership at these companies was already driving a change even before the pandemic? I think that as a society, our mindset about the importance of mental health has been changing for the better for some time now, for several decades. And I think maybe it really stems back to the work that was done 
a few decades ago to really demonstrate the effectiveness of some of the treatments and interventions and forms of therapy that people created and then validated um, by testing them in patients with, uh, with mental health conditions. And I think the fact that we had these effective treatments really got people thinking more deeply about what we wanted to do with them and how we wanted to make them available. So um, when we started, we really were hoping to benefit from gathering tailwinds in terms of acceptance of the importance in finding good care for people in need. And I think that really has been happening. We were having success signing up companies who wanted to offer better mental health services uh, to their employees before the pandemic hit. But there's no doubt in my mind that a tumultuous year like 2020 amplifies the trends we were already seeing. In a year like this, it's really easy for people to relate to the fact that a lot of their colleagues are because we're all struggling. Um, and when we survey employees, you can easily get feedback that people are saying they're struggling with their mental health this year as they feel anxious about the future, as they feel uh, less connected to the things in their lives that, that generally bring them joy, going out and being social and um, being able to have activities with other people. That's all been taken away. It feels like Groundhog Day for everyone. That's not a, a terrific environment for being able to battle. Um, the some of the emotional challenges that we all are going to face from time to time. So there's no doubt that what we've seen this year is that more companies who might have been thinking about mental health, who might have been close to making a commitment to offer better services, have stepped up and said, you know what, our employees really need this. And we're going to go out and make sure that we can offer them easy to access, effective care um, for those who need it. Yeah, that's great. It's how you want it to happen, really. You want to sort of position yourself. You kind of get the groundswell going, and then you're you're in such a perfect place to be really helpful when when something like this happens. Um, Dan, mental health issues were costing the U.S. one hundred ninety three billion dollars in losses annually back in twenty nineteen. So it wasn't a, a small problem by by any means. Then, you know, as David and I were talking about, then the pandemic hit. And now COVID-19 continues to make already troubling health situations worse. So as a strategic VC attached to a large health system like Providence, what did you see before and after the onset of the pandemic? And did that play into how you and Lyra worked together to kind of evolve with the opportunity? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, as we, we've talked about here, you know, it's no mystery that uh, in this country in particular, uh, is 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 an underserved need, um, and for all stakeholders, not you know most notably consumers uh, and all of us, uh, you know the the preponderance of of issues with respect to behavioral health across our population, but it's also other stakeholders, uh, health systems included, struggle with these issues mightily as well. Uh, for instance, you know, we operate 51 hospitals at Providence, and one of the largest issues we have in trying to uh, uh, care for patients is in our emergency departments. Uh, we see a very large number of patients who come in with behavioral health issues being their primary reason uh, for being brought to our facilities. Uh, we uh, our mission and what we do and, and what hospitals and providers do is, is try to work with those patients and stabilize them. Uh, we struggle uh, to find providers to be able to service setting. Um, 
And we oftentimes have patients that uh, it takes a long time. They either sit in our EDs for a long time or we have to admit them when if we had a better provider access, uh, we, could, we could treat more speedily and better, uh, better facilitate the care uh, for those patients. Um, the other thing is when we look to, you know, we do stabilize and get a patient ready for discharge, we struggle to find where we can help them connect with care providers once they leave to be able to work with them on these issues that, that led them to our emergency departments in the first place. So that was all pre-pandemic. Um, and, you know, when you think about uh, technology and what was going on with respect to behavioral health pre-pandemic, there was still, uh, there was a lot of really interesting things going on, Lyra included. Um, you know, I think on the consumer side, it kind of started with mobile apps around mindfulness and in some apps that have gotten a lot of adoption uh, that I think were familiar with, which are doing a lot of good for uh, folks with, uh, you know, for mindfulness, low-level depression, and anxiety. Um, and there are other companies like Lyra that are focused on, uh, you know, providing more of the spectrum of care in terms of where your 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 issues are, whether it's low level to severe. Uh, you've got companies like Lyra that are leveraging technology to not only help you find the right care providers for your needs, but also uh, delivering cognitive behavioral therapy type solutions uh, in a either hybrid form, supporting providers in that care to make that care process better, or actually making that the full experience. Uh, provider shortages are huge in this country. It's, it's not something we can just fix. Um, you know, Lyra does both in terms of trying to break down the friction and finding the right providers, uh, which is a challenge, but also leveraging technology to be able to serve more folks, uh, not only uh, more easy, uh, but also better. And, you know, the, the data that Lyra has been able to generate with respect to the outcomes for the patients that it's working with uh, has been incredible. Um, Post-pandemic, uh, you know, tel behavior, or I'm sorry, uh, telehealth in general has exploded. Uh, couldn't go see your physician, uh, no matter what you needed to go see a physician for. Uh, so overnight, video visits, uh, which had already started to take some traction, became uh, imperative. Behavioral health was br br brought along uh, similarly. Uh, and that's not going to stop. You know, I think we're, as a health system, we're seeing, uh, you know, we were seeing just about all patients virtually, except in our hospitals where folks would come to the EDs. Uh, now we're seeing, uh, now that it's, we're seeing patients in person again, we're still, I think, at a level that's 10 times in terms of the number of virtual visits that we're doing versus what it ever was uh, prior, to the, prior to the pandemic. And that's just going to continue. Consumers want to be able to access providers that way. Providers now have seen what it's like to be able to do it. Uh, so it, it's actually a silver lining coming out of this is that the, 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 the knowledge and understanding and experience in using virtual care, we're still in the top of the first inning, quite frankly, uh, but it has accelerated it uh, immensely. Uh, and companies like Lyra, uh, thankfully, have been there to be able to to, to help with the, the near-term need and we'll continue to help drive it going forward. We'll talk a little bit more about the clinic here in a bit. David, I want to talk a little bit about Lyra's unicorn status. Seems like it would blow the lid off your company's ability to now attract new uh, partnerships. Uh, you, you, you already have a bunch of companies that you, that you work with, Starbucks, eBay, there, there, there's quite a few. You can elaborate on, on a few more of those. 
But now that you've kind of achieved this to this unicorn level, it feels like opportunity just just would would beckon you now from every corner. Is that true? Does does sort of having sort of a hitting a hallmark like, like that is that, is that a big deal? Is that something maybe you and your team or you and Providence had even discussed before? Like, how important is it really to kind of hit these highly noticeable and pressworthy valuation marks, you know, in order to continue to to scale and evolve a company like yours? I think for for uh, for us at Lyra, you know, we come to work every day really focused on the clients who need help and trying to do everything we can to provide the best service and the best care for them, and uh, really try and remember that our true north ultimately is the that we're able to deliver in terms of people getting care through Lyra and feeling better after they got care. So the most important metric for us is the percentage of people who um, have an improvement in their symptoms and feel like they're in better shape to manage the challenges of their lives. And we're really proud and fortunate that over 80% of people who get care through Lyra have a measurable improvement in their So that's where it really all starts, is understanding the problem you're trying to solve and being as laser focused as you can be on um, providing a solution that really matters to people. Um, and that makes a difference. And the nice thing um, when you find yourself in the right spot is that good things follow that, including things like the value of your company going up because you have more customers who like you and want to work with you and your business is growing and um, people are excited about what you're doing. And so um, milestones like financings are important mileposts or, or uh, uh recognitions of the progress that you made, but I really don't think, at least for us, that you focus on those. Those are derivative of doing the right thing every day. And um, to add to that is we feel really fortunate as we think about the investors we work with to work with people like Providence, who are like-minded and really keen to support the companies that they work with. So um, we felt so fortunate when Providence was interested in being a partner for Lyra back, uh, as Dan described it several years ago, because anyone who's uh, trying to make the healthcare system work or work better knows it's really complicated. You know, there's so many moving pieces. There's lots of rules and regulations and connections, and you can't start a company and understand all of that. You can understand some of it and what you're excited about, but you really need to partner with other people who bring experience and expertise and perspective that can help make sure you're pointed in the right direction and uh, likely to achieve what you're set out to achieve. And Providence is the kind of organization that has that expertise, but I think just as importantly is really eager to make it available to people who are trying to do something interesting and innovative in healthcare. So I have the good fortune of working with Dan pretty closely, and he's always asking, what can we do to help? You know, what's going on in the business where we might be able to make a connection for you or offer you some perspective or some experience that might just help you navigate some difficult waters more successfully than you would have on your own. And that's such an important asset for a company when you're trying to make a big difference in the world, but you're still small. And you have a limited amount of knowledge and resources to bring to the problem. There's been plenty of evidence over the last couple of decades that for in in sort of the wider, more general business tech sector, sometimes these derivative sort of mile markers sort of seem to be a little bit more important than 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 staying focused on the job at hand. And so it's just great to hear. That's the way it should be in health. 
So Dan, question for you. We've, we've already sort of covered this. Uh, but, you know, again, 4 million U.S. consumers sort of considered telemental health for the first time in April of 2020 alone. And the pandemic obviously played a major, major role in that and, and you know, and sort of pushing people in that direction. And fortunately, companies like Lyra and, and you know, Providence as an organization was, was in a position to be really effectively helpful during that. Um, eventually, we are going to get a vaccine. You know, we hope. But, uh, but when and if we get a vaccine, do you think or does Providence in general think in talking about telemedicine in general that will anyone want to go back to the clinic? You know, will a lot of people want to go back? Will only a few people? Are you, Dan and David, discussing how the availability of a vaccine might, might affect uh, Lyra's business model or, or, or just even sort of the plan for, for telehealth in general? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, you know, obviously, we we are all hoping for the, uh, the the vaccine as quickly as possible in every respect of life, um, in behavioral health as well. Which uh, obviously, with this pandemic, uh, the, the issues that people are experiencing uh, have increased exorbitantly uh, with that. So that's specifically with respect to behavioral health. It's an issue that has only grown in scale and scope uh, with the pandemic. And, and, and we hope that the vaccine uh, will, will help bring life back to normal and alleviate some of that. With respect to the utilization of technology and telehealth uh, in general and for behavioral health, though the, the train has left the station. I think uh, we as an organization uh, actively assessing what our provider system construct is going to look like in terms of uh, embedding uh, telehealth into the practices of every physician. I mean, think about this beforehand. We, we had a, we've had a, a very strong telehealth business, video visits, think video visits within our system for several years now. Um, utilizations have shot up you know, exponentially. Uh, I think we're going to do 2 million unique patient visits this year. Um, but it used to be a pool of physicians and typically for primary, you know, simple primary care needs and so forth. And uh, now every physician in America, not just within Providence, has had to figure out how to do a video visit. Um, and it's going to become a, a part of just about every doctor's practice, or at least every clinic's going to have an aspect of this. Whereas before that wasn't the case at all. So there's, there's redesign in terms of systems like Providence thinking about that. It's going to have impact on real estate. It's going to have impact on our providers and when and where they work. Um, so it's going to be huge. And, and as it relates to behavioral health, uh, it's always been one that we thought about that is, is the kind of care need most uh, uh, be the word. It's, it's the one, maybe the care need that's most suitable for a video visit. When you think about the, the context of that care, there's not a need for the laying on of hands to feel for injury and so forth. Um, and, you know, there's, there's an opportunity here for a better experience. Uh, we've all kind of been able to realize that commuting's not a lot of fun <laughs> now that we're all working from home. Think about, you know, leaving work and having to commute to a, a behavioral health visit. It's, it's inconvenient, it's challenging, it's hard to find access. Uh, from the 
consumer side as well as the, the provider side. So I think it's, um, it's kind of an awakening in, in not only that, you know, the type of therapy and how you engage, it's not just needing to be face-to-face in person. It's not just face-to-face via video. How do we leverage technology to not just have a weekly or bi-weekly visit? Uh, this is what David and his team have, have designed, but how do we, for that patient that wants a specific kind of, of care experience and need for a specific kind of therapy, how can we deliver that in, in a variety of ways, either, or either supporting a provider with respect to how they work with the patient or you know, largely supplanting it if, if it's a patient self-help program that could be, be utilized? That's, the, that's how we address this provider shortage issue, is to leverage technology, help find the right solutions for the right patients, uh, and facilitate that delivery of care for those that otherwise wouldn't be able to access and get it. Completely with you on that. Like Obviously, the COVID-19 situation has sort of caused this massive evolution in, the, in, in all aspects of our lives. And again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, sometimes the challenging circumstances pushes innovation and gets us to a, a better place. And, and you know, I, I think definitely in health and in all aspects of doing business, technology is going to make things better. It's going to help commutes. It's going to help reduce some costs around care. It's going to do all kinds of good things. So David, I want to put myself in the seat of young entrepreneurs who are sort of um, looking at what you've done and, and, and thinking about their own ideas and, and how they'd like to get things off the ground. So take us back to 2015, day one of Lyra. What's the focus? What's the goal? Do you dream big at this point? Do you have the loftiest goal imaginable? Like, you know, I want to be, I want to be a unicorn company, or do you start small and focus on moving from one manageable victory to the next, like what, what's your mindset day one? Yeah, those were fun days. And uh, I'm reminded of some wisdom that a friend of mine shared with me that really, really made an impact to me on me when I was thinking about starting Lyra, which is he said that for a, an, an aspiring entrepreneur, the best situation isn't that you decide to start a company, it's that a company starts you. Uh, And what he meant by that was really that the best situation is if there's a problem or an opportunity or something going on in the world that you can't feel good, you can't feel as happy as you want to feel unless you're doing something about it. That it's so important to you that you want to be dedicating your time to it because it matters and the company becomes the vehicle through which you work on the problem that you're deeply passionate about. And I think the reason that that's such good advice is because starting a company is really, really hard. Uh, Of all the things I've tried to do in my career, it's the most difficult. Um, You frequently feel like there are walls in front of you that you can't figure out a way over or around, and you just have to keep butting your head against it until you hopefully find something that was there that helps you to to move forward. And you don't want it that and make that level of investment and commitment and take on that amount of pain if you're not really passionate about moving forward and accomplishing what the company has set out to accomplish. And on the other hand, if you really believe in the mission of the company, you won't let yourself be deterred by the problems that arise. They're just things you have to deal with to get to a place um, that you that you really, really want to get to. So um, I think that's an important context. 
Now you asked specifically about, you know, aiming big or looking for small victories. I think one of the fun and hard parts about working at an early stage company is you have to do both and you have to find the right proportion. You know, if you're not dreaming big and you're not thinking about making a meaningful impact on the world, you're going to have trouble attracting talent. Um, no one's going to be inspired to come work with you. You're going to have trouble attracting um, people, investors aren't going to want to dedicate their time and attention to some small problem um, that, you know, isn't going to be that meaningful to solve. But at the same time, if all you do is think about the big outcome that's, you know, decades away, you never get anywhere. So you have to also make sure you're spending some of your, what's a starting point? What's like a first milestone that we can hit in the next couple of months and feel good about? that would be at least display our ability to create value on a small scale and um, give us some confidence to keep working on the bigger and more complicated problems. And honestly, I think sometimes we got that balance right and sometimes we work too hard at one end of the continuum or the other, but you've got to find time for both and try and find the right balance. Dan, whenever we discuss the companies Providence Ventures chooses to invest in, we always talk about finding partners who live the same ethos, essentially, as, as you do, who believe in similar things. Companies that are you know, devoted to using technology to bring better, higher quality care to people. So even before COVID, it was always about people. Now, here we have David, who believes in supporting the mental health and well-being of, in his words, a company's most important asset, their people. So... This people first thing is, is sort of, it's been a theme with Providence. How important does that remain to you, especially now? It's almost that balance between like innovation and technology and, and people who have an awesome idea. And then, you know, people again, who sort of have the same principles and focus and, you know, desire to be helpful as your organization does. Yeah. I think, you know, from, from a couple of angles, um, it's, it's ordinarily important when you think about people uh, from from my position, one from being a part of Providence, where we're very much a, a mission based organization and and helping people uh, helping ease their way is one of the big mottos. Um, and from a, a mission alignment perspective, it's a, this is investing in people who share that is is absolutely critical for Providence, not only, and it's not just, you know, thinking about what Providence Ventures does in investing in companies, but it's uh, vendors we work with. It's uh, other folks, you know, I, I'm humbled by working with the, the people at Providence that I've, I've gotten to know in terms of how focused they are in making sure that folks that we work with, vendors or otherwise, share a similar mindset as us in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. And then on the, the investment side, you know, as a, a venture capital investment, obviously people uh, are the, the, the key to success more than uh, anything else. You always say you'd rather invest in a A team and a B idea uh, than a B, idea, you know, B team and an A idea. So you're always looking for the best people. Um, so the mission alignment, uh, you know, from a from a Providence perspective and then thinking about it from an investment perspective, you know, people is always, is always critical. Um, you know, I think in this case, you know, it was, it was an easy one. Uh, David's and his team are incredibly passionate about something that our organization is incredibly passionate about. Um, I'd say at the outset, David and his team were equally puzzled about how to do it. 
I think he had some ideas about it. He knew it was a huge issue. He had conviction he could figure it out. We as a large health system that have been doing this since 1860s uh, with the, the Sisters of Providence who started this organization certainly hadn't figured it out. Um, and we were struggling mightily with figuring out how we can make an impact on this important need in our, our communities. Uh, so in that respect, uh, it was an easy, easy fit. I'd say the other thing that's interesting with the, the, the pandemic here, you know, obviously the economic impact across the board uh, for our health system and health systems in particular has been really significant uh, with uh, the turning off of surgeries for a strong period of time and, and managing, trying to make our facilities uh open to, to serve those in most need from COVID. And also employers are kind of across the board, you've got certain examples of companies that are really you know, doing better that are in the technology sector, but most companies are struggling. And usually that means when the economy dips like that, you think about uh, benefits and spending at those companies oftentimes constrict. Um, in this case, in, in Providence, I've talked to our folks on our benefits side, we're investing more aggressively, spending more money trying to support our caregivers in the field uh, on behavioral health in a way that we you know, hadn't before. You know, and we're, and we're economically challenged to figure out where we find that money, but we're doing it. And I think David and his team, similarly across other employers, he mentioned uh, the need to invest in their employees from a, a a perspective of being successful in retention. Uh, but I think the, I think there's a, a humanity as well across employers right now in terms of trying to serve the needs of their employees uh, that even goes beyond that, which is fantastic to see. Um, so this is a, it's a good thing that this is a winning area in terms of behavioral health through this pandemic and, um, you know, another silver lining come out of this when we're looking for them. Uh, I think there is a big uh, emphasis across our country trying to, to help people in need with respect to the issues that they're they're facing. Yeah, thank you. Coming again back to the pandemic. David, um, as an innovator in healthcare, should they approach it differently now that we're in the pandemic and, and you know, ho- hopefully trying to find our way out of it? Has this kind of completely changed how an innovator should think about figuring out how to start something and, and scale it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think one lesson that's been uh, pretty interesting to watch, I think, for all of us is how the pandemic has exposed exposed how resilient we can be as people, but also how fragile we can be. Um, it's been pretty impressive to watch people uh, throughout the country rally to what they need to do um, to react to the pandemic, to take care of people who are sick, to work from home with their families, all of these things that are tremendously disruptive and yet people are finding a way to do them. And yet at the same time to respect that enough disruption really does cause people to struggle and break down and we've got to be there to support them. So understanding that I think is uh, just a good uh, window onto whoever, whatever problem you're trying to solve, the, the situation that people face when there's challenges like this The other thing I'd say if you're thinking about starting a company is uh, this is certainly a strong reminder that you have to be aware of. I don't know if you can prepare for it, but just be aware that the unexpected is going to happen. You can't plan everything. You know, we're planful people at Lyra. We have a business plan. We set out to accomplish certain things each year, but sometimes, you know, you just... uh, uh, you have to change your plan because things change around you. And that's really happened for us this year. I'll give you, uh, you know, an example or two. Um, 
before the pandemic, about half of our uh, clients were getting care in person. They were seeing a therapist in person and about half were getting care um, by video. So they were seeing a, seeing a therapist by video. And within a couple of weeks in March, that went from about 50-50 to 199. Um, basically all the sessions like, again, not quite overnight, but it felt like overnight, were all by video all of a sudden. And we had to adapt to that. That wasn't our plan. We weren't expecting that. We didn't have our provider network set up to be delivering that amount of therapy, that amount of care um, by video. And we had to just figure out, okay, what does that mean? And how are we going to deal with it? Um, and the second example would be in a normal year, most of our new customers would launch a service on January 1st. That's just the natural cycle of you evaluate it during the year, you make your decision in the fall, you launch January 1st. What happened this year was given the importance and the uh, magnitude of the impact of all the things that we're facing as a society this year, we had come to us and say, you know, this is really important. We want to work with you. And we want to launch in two weeks. Um, that had never happened before. We'd never been in a situation in March where companies were saying, like, April 1st it is. Let's get going. Uh, we didn't have the plan for that. We didn't have the team ready. But, of course, we wanted to be there to support that customer and their employees and, uh, and provide good care to them. So we said yes. We figured it out. And so just having the right team that really is able to solve problems, that is committed and resilient and really believes in the importance of what you do because there will be moments where you're going to ask them to do things that feel superhuman and above and beyond what you expected and a great company will find a way to rise to those challenges and something like the pandemic is I don't know what it will be but things like this happen and they will happen again and you've got that organizational capability to not only get through these kinds of challenges, but to try to come through stronger than you went into them. I get the sense that it's it's almost like you need people who really sort of understand what the soul of their of the company they they work at, uh, what the soul is, because all all the pieces, all the things that you are expecting to do might not go that way. You know, the consumer might demand you to evolve in, 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 in a very different direction or some of the challenges your, 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 your clients have, have needs that are, that are very challenging. You got to be very fleet of foot. And so if you really understand who you are, imagine it makes it so much easier to kind of roll with these things and stay on mission, even though the specifics of how you do it might be a little bit different than the original plan. So Dan, what about from your side as an investor? Is this going to forever change the way you you sort of approach look looking for partners? I know I know we were talking before that you know Providence obviously is continues to look for innovation and look and and, and seek out partners. How's that going uh, during the pandemic? Does it feel different? It definitely feels different, uh, and I yeah I can't I think everybody feels different in this environment. I think in our business we are we talked about people um, and you know. David has, you know, one shot on goal with all of his investors. He's got his, his portfolio of one right now in terms of who he works with. And he thinks about investors and wants to get to know them well and feel like uh, he's got the right partners. And, and obviously, from an investor perspective, you really want to get to know the people that you're going to be working with. Again, it's and whether you're part of Providence or just a venture capitalist in general, you want to be aligned with respect to mission and, and how you think you can work with somebody. So that's been challenged. You know, I think what we've done uh, in every other has done is, is try to adjust that. You know, we've, we've uh, 
We have made one new investment this year, which was a team that we already knew prior to the pandemic. We've got another one that uh, should close here shortly. Similarly, was prior to the pandemic. A lot of our deepest kind of uh, potential investments are folks we knew, uh, meaning uh, had met and had been able to spend time with physically in person. Um, I think the biggest transition will be, you know, I think about it now. I haven't had a cup of coffee with somebody in person from a business meeting perspective since this started. And uh, I'm getting, uh, I'm going to have to reteach myself to do that when we get to a point that that actually is something that is the norm again. Uh, But in the interim, I think we will be better at, you know, trying to break down the, you know, some of our old habits of this is the way that things need to be done and we need to be more flexible. We still have a mission in terms of what we're trying to accomplish, and there's great people out there. We just need to figure out a better way to to try and connect and and uh, and do that well. Um, so it, it is a challenge, but one we're adjusting to. And and uh, you know we're we're you know I, I, the other thing I would say is you know from a uh, what are we investing perspective in in perspective I would say you know we're our large health system uh, we've got you know, economic challenges coming out of this won't be uh, gone overnight. I think our priorities in what we're focusing on investing in, uh, you know, which we try, we align with our system and their priorities probably have narrowed. Uh, so we, and this is, I guess, uh, something that entrepreneurs should certainly be aware of. And if they're selling into these markets is where do you fit on the priority list? Because it's a little bit smaller than it was before. Um but there are still great opportunities. We've still got to push our system forward. A lot of changes that are being accelerated in the industry that are exciting. You know, telehealth being a big driver and a lot of outgrowth in other areas from that. Uh, but also, you know, how we look to, you know, enter from a provider perspective, how do we do more risk-based contracting, I think is going to accelerate in this world. So there's a lot of different things uh, in terms of care models and how we need to do things differently that are going to evolve. So. A lot of needs uh, just need to be respectful, I think, when you think about these opportunities of, you know, is the money there for the priorities that are there uh, to, to really drive the business in, in the next few years? Do you think that'll affect the timeline? I know one of the big things that has been happening for decades in health is its ability to move an innovation fast enough. People have tons of good ideas. Maybe they come from technology in general outside of health tech. And sometimes they got frustrated with the pace at which things moved. And, and then that seemed to really like kind of kick into gear. Are you worried that now it slows down a bit? Are you worried that, you know, having to lean into technology to get to know people, having to prioritize certain kinds of innovations and deal with budgets? Is, do you think that'll slow things down? Or are you hopeful that the pace, you know, kind of continues to evolve towards a good place? You know, when you think about who your customer is, if you're talking about providers, whether it be hospitals or physician groups, uh, and then you got health plans who I, th- I think are probably okay coming out of this, right? It's kind of, you know, for a while it was even less cost because there weren't surgeries being done and then it's catching up to them. Um, but you got to know who your customer is. I think when you think about the provider, which we're largely a provider system, we also have a health plan. But on the provider side, you, you do need to be conscious of the economic impacts to that, to, to, to your customers there. I think there's going to be haves and have nots, quite frankly. I think there's information that 
are we're having to invest in rapidly. You think about we we've made huge investments already in telehealth, but we continue to do that. Remote patient monitoring, how do we care for patients that we're going to be seeing by video now, that we need to get their vitals. We need to do different things in terms of how we care for them. The model has to change. And there's going to be some real things of innovative things that need to be done and, and need to be invested in. There might be other areas that there might be tighter in terms of budgets that are still important, but uh, you know, we only have so much money to spend and invest. So, you know, I think it will be a haves and have nots. Uh, true big innovation is going to be accelerated, though. When you think about care models, how we're getting care, how we're delivering care, how we're orienting ourselves to deliver care, how we're contracting to take more risk uh, in in the, the care that we're providing with our health plan partners or directly with employers. So, on the net of it, will be big. Well, continue and accelerate. Um, but, you know, there is the, the budget impact is something not to be dismissive of in terms of uh, can't invest everywhere. I appreciate you um, talking about that. So, David, and also for you, Dan, what's next? David, what are you looking at on the horizon for Lyra? And, and, and Dan, um, you know, what's your plan as Lyra evolves and uh, as a strategic partner? David, maybe I'll let you. I'll let you kind of speak to it first. What's uh, what do you what are you looking at down the road? Yeah, you know, we're really focused on two big areas. One is uh, making sure Lyra is available to more people over time. Um, we're really pleased that by January of next year, January of 2021, there'll be two million people who have access to our services and can get. Gifts. That's fantastic but it still means there's well over 300 people in this country who can't use Lyra because we're not offered through their company or their health plan. So we've got lots more partnerships to try and put together so that we can help more people. And then the second area for us is really just expanding the breadth and of the services that we provide. Um, we're really pleased today that we can offer high quality therapy, mental health coaching services, medication and prescribing services. But there's a lot of the mental health population is a diverse group of people with lots of different conditions and needs. There's always more we can do to improve the uh, quality of service. We're very proud of how we brought technology into the care journey for people. So in addition to having a provider who you can talk to, there's lots of digital exercises and lessons that you can do on our platform to try and support your journey to feeling better. Um, and the opportunity to bring forward more technology-enabled solutions so that we can help more people and help them more deeply is uh, uh, always going to be our focus. And Dan, what does that mean for you as a, uh, as a strategic partner? What, uh, how do you help as you kind of look at the horizon for Lyra? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's extraordinarily exciting. It's been fun to uh, work with David, given, uh, as I've articulated before, their evolution in figuring out how they can tackle this problem and, and have really taken their mission and, and defined how they're going to do that. But there's an evolution to where they're going to look to take this as well, uh, which you know, has huge potential above and beyond what they're even doing today as a transformer in this market. Providence, similarly, is still in our journey to figure out how to better deliver behavioral health or help our patients access that, you know, from a constant perspective, you know, Lyra's done a great job helping our caregivers with behavioral health needs, uh, 
province being a, a customer of Lyra, we also want to help our patients better. You know, we're we're we mentioned the ED. How can we do a better job there? But also, you know, most behavioral health is dealt with on the front lines in primary care because of the shortages that we have with providers, and that's where the identification should take place, often does, and should even more so. So we want to enable our primary care providers to uh, be able to better identify patients and plug them into different kinds of care models that we're experimenting with, how we can do that better. And as Lyra, Lyra's got more wood to chop than they can handle, uh, but as they continue to evolve their model, uh, I think there's going to be great opportunities for us to, to continue to help them with their thinking about where they can uh, their mission and and the, the services that they're they're able to deliver and the great care they're able to deliver uh, to patients even more broadly. David Eversman and Dan Gallus, well done to you both and best of luck as Lyra continues to change the mental health of millions of people for the better. Um, and thank you very much for for being with us today. Thanks, Pat. Thank you so much, Pat. And thank you, David. That's the conclusion of this episode of Funding the Future of Healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show or want to let us know about your own experience with the COVID-19 pandemic, please do so. Check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We look forward to talking again.